This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast, volume number three, issue 155. I am DM Vince, and I'm sitting alongside DM Jason. Jason, what's going on? Hi, Vince. How are you? Good, good. It's been a long time, buddy. Yeah, man, a really long time. All right, first of all, i got to make sure I understand numbering. Volume three, issue 150, what? What does that mean in raw numbers? How many episodes <laughs> is this? Uh, we have... Uh, 155 actual issues of the show, but we do have um, probably close to 200 in total episodes with all the Gen Con specials and all the interview specials and the special inserts that we did. Okay, so volume three, it's volume three, but it's the the number at the end is the the number number. Yeah, we just kind of, we decided that every time something major changed in the show, we decided to make another volume happen. So when you left, it became volume number two, and we had Will, it became volume number two. And then when Will left, it became volume number three. So so this is number 155. Yep, issue 155, official 155, correct. So in Dragon Magazine terms, that would make this March 1990. That's correct. <laughs> I had to go look that up really quick. Ah, I see what you're up to. Yep. So... We're going old school. It's just myself and Jason this week. No one else. Just one hundred percent old school because this marks the fifth anniversary of this podcast. Wow! Five years ago, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, to be it's a little bit off. I uh, brought up the idea in the Dragon's Foot forum and uh, asked if anybody was interested in doing this. And Jason emailed me, and we started talking that day. And we and kind five of five years. Five, that's like that's that's. That's almost as much time as I spent in high school. Wait, you spent five years in high school? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's something to brag about or be proud, dude. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, so... I didn't go to high school. (laughs) (laughs) So from there, we just started kind of making up the show and uh, plotting our show notes out. And then uh, I took over the technical end. and writing some show notes, and then Jason started doing uh, what he does best, promoting. Well, we met on Dragon's Foot. Yeah. Um, And it was really funny, because I had been starting to listen to some other podcast, and I think it was Fear the Boot. Um, Yeah, yeah. It was was something really good. And uh, I was like, oh, there should really be a first edition AD&D podcast. If only there was such a thing. I wish I could start one. And then I look on Dragon's Foot, and there you are going, I have this idea for a first edition AT&T podcast. I'm like, ah, you're first. And so, you know, when we talked about it, I was driving yeah. somewhere down the, you know, like the, the whatever that highway is between New York and uh, Boston and sat and talked to you from a, a rest stop on the highway for like an hour and a half while we went over all the ideas for it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You were in the car and you're like, uh, I need to get a signal. Hold on. Yeah, that's when I was at the I was at the rest stop the whole time, just like sitting on a picnic table. Yeah, and we spoke for about an hour and a half about the first couple of shows, what we were going to do going forward, and then how we were going to handle things. 
and in bizarrely, we actually pretty much did what we talked about, which is pretty rare in the world of I've got an idea and I'm talking to a stranger about it. That's true. It was kind of like that whole let's open up a bar thing, but never do it. But instead, we actually <laughs> opened up the bar. So right, exactly. So now here we are in Cabo. Yeah. Five years later, I mean, you moved on to different things because of whatever reasons, but the show continued and we just flourished and uh, we're still doing going strong with issues. So, Well, weirdly enough, the whatever things I moved on to actually happened also. So, Yeah, those things happened also. I mean, you, you went and you cre- recreated something uh, that's wonderful. That uh, The Gygax magazine reminding us all of the magazine we love when we grew up. So, Well, you know, the reason that we call the RFI uh, podcasts issues is because we love Dragon Magazine and yeah. felt like RFI is sort of an audio homage to that type of thing and so you know I've always loved magazines because I started my first music magazine back when I was like 19 and Dragon was a big part of my life so I thought I would really love to have a gaming magazine like that again and so it just seemed like a natural progression from RFI to start you know Gygax Magazine yeah, it was in the beginning we had that great idea of issues and chaptering and everything for the podcast, and you were editing things for uh, chaptering, and it was a great thing. But then I guess Apple kind of dropped the ball on that whole chaptering thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like they were the only ones that ever really did it. You couldn't really do this with other players. No. So if you weren't using the proper Apple equipment, you wouldn't see the chapters anyway. It was a cool feature if you had an iPod or something. It was like, wow, I could skip chapters and I don't have to listen to all this bull crap that I don't want to hear. And Like, ugh, there's the Jason chapter again. <laughs> oh, my God, Jason talked for 20 minutes. I got to skip that. Click. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. And then we went and we went to our first Gen Con that same year as a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I know you promoted the hell out of the podcast there in that year. You want yeah, to share some really well. Do you want to share some tips of what you did for promoting so all the people out there listening know what you did so they could try using it? Well, you know, I think it's kind of the same tips of promoting anything, which is go where there's a lot of people and talk to as many of them as you can. Honestly, <laughs> we had um we had the postcards that we made. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's talked about the podcast and where you could get it. And I just had Tons of them in my bag, and I think you had a bunch too. Yeah. And just every time we were talking to people, we'd be like, hey, and while you're at it, you know, listen to this. And, <laughs> and at Gen Con, it was the, whoops, I left a bunch on the table. <laughs> oh, no, I left 30 behind where 30 people were. <laughs> whoops. <laughs> and we but, had... you know, I mean, handing something to a person and talking to them is kind of as good as leaving a 100 of anything because, you yeah. know, when you've actually spoken with somebody, then they know you. And they're more inclined to actually, you know, take a look. Yeah, true. We also you know, had... And it's a great way to meet a lot of people. I actually made a lot of new friends at that Gen Con and people that I still, you know, see at conventions and game with to this day. Very true. Dead Game Society helped us out by putting our flyers into their bags. Oh, yeah. You know, and they've all become good friends. You know, yeah. I talked to Chad two days ago. We, we probably talk literally three times a week. Yeah, Chad Chad became the new you on the podcast. Which I thought was awesome. He does a much better job of being me than I did. Yeah, I think someone said, hey, you're just like Jason, but just, just you don't sound like Jason. You're just another Jason. And he's like, wow, I'm the new Jason. <laughs> you're like Jason, but smart. <laughs> no, Chad's really great in addition to the podcast. He's something we've been looking for, for since you had left to fill in that little stickler rule spotlight person. So, Guy who talks too much spotlight. No, 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 no. You were the person that was like, if we, if 
when Nick came along, it was like we said something. You were like, "Dude, slow down. The rules are not like that," and you would like bring us back to reality type thing. Yeah, I mean, I hope I never got a reputation as a rules lawyer because I mean that's never been my intention. I don't feel like when you're in the middle of a game that you should sit there and say like the letter of the law is this and that, you know. But it's I, I enjoy researching things and I enjoy looking things up and getting to know them. You know, in the actual game, you know, the DM is the ultimate arbiter, but it's fun to to learn all the stuff. Well, not you didn't become a rules lawyer. You just you were kind of set on the podcast as the person to look to for rules. And if they need, if someone wanted an opinion that was based on what the book says, they would look to you. And you pretty much had that. Yeah, yeah. I like I like to I like to look stuff up. You were you were very good at sticking to the rules as far as doing your own. Even when you did your own actual play podcast, you tried sticking to the rules the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it was a good time. I actually was trying to find a bunch of those files the other day. I found a few of them, but since some of the really old RFI archives seem to have uh, fallen into the memory hole, I couldn't find everything. Well, I know Matt had a whole bunch of them in his... He gave uh, me what he had. Yeah, he yeah. had about like 70 or 80% of those. Oh. You know, which is cool. I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm going to sit and listen to the whole thing one afternoon or something. It was just kind of fun to go back and, you know, because I'm actually still... Uh, running that particular adventure sometimes, you know, in personal campaigns. The Barons so, of Hogs. You really you run the Barons of I think it was Hogsen or something. Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like oh. I, I'm like there's some little things that I need to uh, make adjustments to because, for example, there's a room that's got a kind of kind of thorny mathematical puzzle that I think is a little bit, you know, it's it's fun to figure out, but I don't think it really fits the flavor of you know what would have actually been there. So there's you know stuff I want to change, but. If I remember correctly, your first character death was Buzz, who's a druid, I believe. Buzz Tilford, yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> he he came back. I'm trying. I remember he got. I as a druid, he ended up getting killed by some tree roots. Yeah. Um, I forget what the monster is called that looks like tree roots, but I thought that was a poetic ending for a druid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, mortals, state your purpose. We seek the knowledge of the ancients. Welcome to Divine Advice. All right, cool. Um, so we do actually have an email that I've dug out of our email bag that applies to one of the shows that you were on in the past, so maybe you can answer the question. Let's try it. All right, this one comes from Kevin, and he says, uh, I, was, I know it was a long time ago, but I was listening to the Insanity Rules show, and there was one mental disorder that was about a character laughing uncontrollably because of the visions they were having. I can't remember what it was, but more importantly, I can't spell it. So I was wondering if you can help us out. Thanks. Okay. So, yes, we can help out because I looked this up to, you know, it's been a little while. But yeah. as it turns out, it wasn't too hard for me to figure out which one it was that we were talking about because it's one of my favorite words. It's called hebephrenia or hebephrenia. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but H-E-B-E-P-H-R-E-N-I-A. Um, I'm going to read, I'm going to you know, cheat a little bit here and just read the description from the DMG. Okay. Uh, when afflicted by this form of insanity, the character will evidence a withdrawal from the real world. He or she will wander mindlessly or aimlessly, talk to himself or herself, giggle and mutter, and act childishly, sometimes even reverting to such a state as to desire to play childish games with others. This insanity is constant but if sufficiently irritated by someone nearby, the afflicted is 75% likely to become enraged and maniacal, attacking the offender fiercely. If the insane official, if the insane, 
If the insane individual does not become so enraged, he or she will become catatonic for one to six hours and then revert to hebephrenic behavior once again. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't think the first time I ever saw this was in the DMG, even though, you know, I feel like I read it cover to cover a couple of times as a kid. You know, you can miss stuff. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Um, later when I was in college, uh, I I was an art student and one of my pieces was called Hebephrenia. And it was a oh. it was a, a video dance piece based around this insan this this uh, disorder because I just thought it sounded like such a I don't know I don't want to say fun disorder but <laughs> you know a, a mental thing that just causes you to roll on the ground giggling and acting like a child sounded kind of funny. <laughs> I thought it's a horrible thing to say if somebody has it. I don't really mean that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I understand what you're talking about. Uh. So I think so in the game, yeah, yeah, that's the one, and I think you could have a lot of fun with that. I, I've always liked the mental disorders in the book, and and I'm I've never seen, I've only seen one DM besides myself use it, and that was Joe when I played with him. He always found a way to Joe. Give us, I yeah, forgot about Joe, the great Joe DM. We called him. Yeah, he uh, uh what, um. He would give us mental disorders. Any chance he could, he would give us those things. And and there came to a point that was just like, you know what, Joe, I'm making a new character up. I think I'll just take a mental disorder right away <laughs> before you're going to sign it to us. But uh, it was kind of a fun role play thing, I thought. So, so you're going to get a mental disorder in the game if you get attacked by a. It says here if you're attacked, you know, mental attack, curse, or whatever. But yeah. I don't really remember a lot about how to, you know, when that would really happen. Well, there was a, a couple things. I think there was a helm that would make you insane. There's a scribe mm. that makes you insane. Uh, reading uh, various magical spells, depending on what level you were, could go make you go insane. There's various ways to do it. Yeah, this is a this is the kind of thing that makes me love One uh, E so much, and just it's it's a great example of what I think is so great about Gary Gygax's writing mm -hmm. is the fact that he would take the time to not only have insanity rules, but I mean, figure what year he would have been writing this, like 76, 77, you yeah, know, whenever yeah, he was yeah. doing it. There's the research you would have to do to do this. It's not Google. <laughs> you know, you've got you. Does your library have enough stuff on this? Was he reading the DSM? Like all that to, you know, to get an insanity table. It's great. Yeah, it's just amazing now. Everything is just like, I need to know something. Hey, let me Google it. And 20 years yeah. ago it was, hey, let me go to the library. <laughs> if they even have it. You know, maybe he had to go to Chicago and use one of the bigger libraries there. Um, Interview somebody maybe? Mm -hmm, yeah. I, you know, this is definitely something I should find out. This is, um, well, you know, um, yeah. I, I, I got to find out the answers to this because luckily there's, you know, enough people around who would know. And, um I wonder, I wonder if, did these get carried over to other books to to, to no. later post Gygax editions? No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't even think they had insanity rules in second edition at all. I mean, at that point, that's a real loss. I mean, I could I could flip through fifth edition to see if there's anything in there, but I don't remember. And I know third edition didn't have anything like this either. So, I think with fifth edition stuff like this will probably start coming out in supplements and such. From you know, because fifth edition seems to be like. It's got all of these great ways to, you know, play in the style that you want and brings back a lot of the old school. But, you know, it's not bringing back maybe the complexity in the books yet. You know, no, I, I think that's always going to be something that shows up in supplements. 
I noticed a lot of people taking 5th edition and grabbing 2nd and 1st edition material and just applying it and just rearranging numbers as fit, like you're supposed to do. Oh, yeah, we put put up a good link on the Gygax Magazine Facebook page. Shameless plug. Um, <laughs> Cheap pop. To, to, <laughs> hey, everybody, go read Gygax Magazine. Um, we put up a, a link to somebody had made a really good conversion mm-hmm. tool. Oh. You know, so if you so if you wanted to take your favorite old school adventure modules and you know make them work for fifth edition, uh, it makes it pretty easy to do. And you know, I know we're a first edition podcast here, but we also love RPGs in general. So I'm just gonna say that I've I haven't I haven't really been playing a campaign yet, but my 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 hopes for the future are high. I have high hopes for it too. I, I have the first edition book, and I have the uh, beginner stuff. So, I've been reading it, and so far it's been an enjoyable read. I haven't played in any games. I've watched games, so they look like they're fun. I mean, it's I a game. The, I heard the episode that that you and Nick <laughs> did, you know, going through the um, the first beginner's guide. Yeah, quick start, whatever it's called. The, the beginners, set. yeah, the basic rules. Yeah, I I bought the box and I've just left it in the shrink because. I'm like I'm gonna if I'm playing this I'm gonna use the books but you know we might as well have the box so that 20 years from now I can say look here it is brand new in the shrink and then rip the shrink off and make everybody scream. You saw that video? Yes, I saw you doing <laughs> that, Jason, with the oh the dungeon master assistant. I was like, no, Jason, don't. <laughs> oh, that was fun. <laughs> I know a collective scream you heard around the world. But I needed the disc. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't believe you actually had it, got it to work. You got it to work, too. I mean, you have a computer that makes that. I was like, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I've got a little collection of Apple IIs, um, but most of the stuff is uh, in storage because, you know, it's a lot to keep at home. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've got my 2C that I, – I, I mean, sure, I could use it on an emulator. Yeah. But, well, well, first of all, those Dungeon Master's Assistant programs are insanely useful. Oh, I, I um, use it all the time, yeah. Yeah, but the character creator is great, but the uh, the encounter creator, if you use the emulators that are online, they've all got the same copy of the disc, and it has a bug like halfway through. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah, when you're trying to save encounters and stuff. Oh, damn. All right. So, well, that's okay, because I'm going to put... Um, I'm going to put a copy of this one up on the Abandonware site, you know, up on uh, yes. Asim. Yeah, so Abandonware. I, I love that site. Yeah, because I mean, I, that's the thing is people should be able to use it because it's a lot of it's it's really useful. Um, so yeah, I could do it on an emulator, but to be honest, I just think it's kind of fun to do it on my Apple IIc. So I just do. No, yeah, I understand totally. It's that that a feeling of the old and be like remember when you were a kid doing it. I get the idea. Plus, if I want to use it on the emulator, I gotta go to my Mac, start up the emulator, find the disk somewhere in my hard drive. You know, it takes a while to go through. If I want to use it on the 2C, I sit down, I the disc is sitting right there, I turn on the power switch, and literally two seconds later I'm doing it. It's faster on the old machine. <laughs> well, yeah, for that particular reason, yeah, you're right. Cause, yeah, because the discs are just sitting there. Exactly. Well, you know. <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, insanity. Insanity <laughs> rules. Yes, it does. In fact, you were the one that quoted that one we have at the end of the show. It just goes, insanity rules at the end, so... So what did you think of the uh, the review that Nick and I did of the basic? <laughs> you should have read it first. <laughs> Aw, we did read it. And we, there were just a lot of really weird questions that we had. That's what that came Chad up. Chad and I were talking about it. We were laughing. We are like, 
we're the researchers, aren't we? We're like, yeah, we're the researchers. <laughs> well, yeah, you're you're Jason and, and Jason Doppelganger, so. <laughs> but it was a good review, though. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I was able to, you know, learn a bit about what was actually in there, and um, I forget there was something that you guys were really mad about. I I, um, was, I tried to remain completely neutral, and uh, Nick was very kind of very sarcastic, like, and I was like, Nick, knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> But it's fun, you know. I mean, it, it was unexpected. You know, you don't expect to hear the fifth edition review on the first edition podcast. Oh, we were mad about the monsters. That's what we were mad about. How they separated everything into different page, full page formats. Yeah, but, that was one of them. And there was another one that had to do with. I think it was because uh, you didn't want to choose a sub race of dwarf. Maybe could have been. Yeah, I, I I don't really know enough about right now whether you can because. I'm going to expose my ignorance now. I can't <gasps> remember the different types of dwarves. What is it like, dwegars? And, um, I'm going to let you just twist and turn the wind. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's like dwegars and hill dwarfs and gully dwarfs and bashful and sneezy. And, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I don't know if in 5th edition, if you can just say I'm a dwarf or if you have to actually say what kind of dwarf you are. I haven't played, well, you know, looked at it closely enough to know. I would think, as the DM in your world, you can do whatever the heck you want because oh, the yeah. books don't rule you. That's right. Yeah, that's Remember right. that, Jason. You know, that's all we're all right. about. Your imagination is your limit. Limited. <laughs> You're not limited. <laughs> all right, cool. Let's head into some table manners. Yeah, I remember back in the day. A fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell you, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn you. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach you some table manners. So from Table Manners this week, we decided to take a look back at one of the retro shows that we did when we were number two, in fact. Issue number two, volume one, issue number two, where we spoke about where to get books from. And we still get this question today, where can I find books? Well, it's so much easier now because yeah. Wizards of the Coast sells them. Back when we started this show, the only resource you had was kind of going either Amazon or heading to your local bookstore that's, I mean, a used book sort of see if someone actually sold them. Yeah, and, you know, half-price books is still a great resource. Absolutely. You know, if they happen to be there. Um, it's one of my favorite stores. I think it's one of every gamer's favorite stores. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and, you know, eBay is still probably the fastest and easiest re you know resource for that. And if you don't have the books, my main advice would be don't pay for the highest quality copy. No, you know, yeah. This is going to be your working Hopefully, this is going to be a working book. So go ahead and get one with some pencil marks. Use your eraser. I don't care, you know. But but you know, just pay, pay the smaller amount and and uh, if then if you want to get the pristine version, definitely get one and and display it and love it. But you know, just just get a beater. Yeah, uh, I'd also say if you're just first getting into this, since maybe you're a later edition player and you heard everybody, wow, first edition's so great. You can also, since it's been like, I don't know, five or six years now, you can also find one of the various clones out there, like Osric. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, retro clones out there. I think, I don't know enough about exactly, you know, what makes one clone more similar and, and more different or anything like that. But in terms of 
old school style playing, I think Dungeon Crawl Classics is probably your best bet. Yeah, it'd be probably something you're a little more used to compared to the rules you're looking at. But if you want to go pure 100% old school and understand what was written, go with Osric, go with uh, Labyrinth Lord with the Advanced uh, Edition Compendium. Both those will simulate what first edition is like, and then if you do really like it a lot, go get the beater book, like Jason said. And one of the cool things with Dungeon Crawl Classics is there's a pretty big uh, ecosystem around it at this point, too. A lot of people writing things specifically for it, um, including uh, James Carpio, who's a games editor at Gygax Magazine. He's written things for Dungeon Crawl Classics. Cheap pop. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Keep popping those names out there. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, and he runs Chapter Thirteen Press, which you should also check out, which is great, um, just in terms of amazing uh, products and, and really high quality stuff. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So so, but if you don't want to go through eBay and you don't want to play, you know, you don't want to buy Dungeon Crawl Classics, you can pretty much your lo- your friendly local game store should have the first edition books right there, published by Wizards of the Coast, re- reprinted. Um, and the great thing about those is the contents are exactly the same. You know, they did redo the layout. Um, it looks the same on the inside with, you know, minor differences that a typographer would notice. But, I mean, in terms of gameplay, it's the same book. And, yeah. you know, and you're buying it new, so you don't have to worry about it. You know, in fact, get yourself a couple copies and go really old school and get out your pencil and write all over it. Just randomly draw pictures and color things in. There you go. Just write your name in the front. This book belongs to Vince. <laughs> Hands off. This means you. This means you, yeah. And then, you know, just go in and make all your notes. I mean, that's I love the fact that you can buy them from Wizards again because I honestly think part of the fun is just treating it like just any old thing you bought at the store and not having to worry about the collector's value. Exactly. Wow. I don't know. I I just, those retro books, those those reprints, I I wouldn't... (laughs) As a person that grew up with all the original books, I look at that book and it's a wonderful cover, and I'm glad they reprinted it. But as soon as I look at the inside, I can tell the difference right away. Yeah, I mean that's what I was saying. Like the typography, they tried, but you know, the books were originally done on a completely different technology. You know, the kind yeah. of uh, typesetting machines and and presses that were used in the 70s and 80s were completely different from what's available now. So you know, it's not they didn't attempt to you know make an actual perfect reproduction what they did was they made sure that it was the exact same material content, yeah you know and and it's good for that and like i said you know it's it's nice to be able to buy a brand new first edition book and just play and you can also get pdfs yeah now you can go to dndclassics.com and just buy a pdf download it and you can read it on your ipad including all of the original modules which is yeah. i mean come on that's that's huge Bring it to your print shop, and you can have it printed out because you can do that now. Yeah, I think you're allowed to, right? Yeah, uh, as long as you personal have personal use. Yeah, as long as it's one copy for your personal use. I mean, if you're making twenty copies, they may be like, "No, sorry." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not advising anybody on what to do, but I know you can buy the PDFs. <laughs> I, I know there is another way to to print out multiple copies, and I've heard this from various people. Uh, they've told me over the years if you're a teacher. And you have, uh, I guess some states have that teacher certificate card that you carry around to prove that you're a teacher. Okay. You can bring your uh, whatever you want, for example, a module or a book, 
and bring it to Kinko's and say, yeah, I need to have 20 copies. I'm going to be teaching a class on this, and they would have to honor that because it's based on education. So, okay. Various teachers have done that and uh, have never had a problem. So you can do that too if you're a teacher. If anybody is listening is a teacher and actually wants to do that and have their class play as part of the class, let us know what it's like because I want to hear stories. Oh, great. absolutely, yeah. And you can. Yeah, it's actually a good idea, you know. Yeah. Uh, RFI staff at gmail dot com five seven zero eight six five forty two ten the hotline where Jason is standing by. Yeah, that's what I'll be doing from now on. <laughs> We've rehired Jason back to answer phones. That's what we did. I needed something. Yeah, he's bored now in life, right? <laughs> All right, cool. So there's your table manners, and we'll head into some DM rules. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. What are you, a wizard, a genius? Darn. A perfectly good brain wasted. Game mechanics. So for game mechanics this week, we're going to go back to show number four. We spoke about um, casting times. Now, we both had our own methods of doing things, and I think we both agreed upon that this is one thing that we both did the same thing because we used the reverse initiative method. Mm -hmm. Which makes it a lot easier when you're doing spellcasting times, in fact. And I, in fact, I got that from you, Jason, the reverse uh, initiative method, which I kind of really liked, and I've used it going forward. Oh, cool. So as the originator of that, you want to explain that real quick to everybody? Um, it's pretty simple. The uh, way that initiative is written in the book is that a higher number is better, but reverse initiative means that a lower number is better. Mm -hmm. So um, whatever you roll when you're rolling initiative is the segment of action upon which things start. Okay. So, for example, if I roll a two and Vince rolls a four, everything I do starts in the second segment of the round and, you know, Vince would start in the fourth, right. which means that when you're doing spell casting times, you know, because the spells have a time in segments, you can count up from there. So if I had a segment best, uh, casting spell four, I would go on a segment of eight, which would be two into the next round. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the, you, you want to maybe adjudicate that a little bit by just making a, you know, a note on your paper or the whiteboard or whatever that this spell is actually, this magic user might be using up two rounds to get their spell done because they were so slow getting started with it. And do you think they implemented the spell casting times to kind of give a more realism to magic? or? Well, um, as far as I understand, it had um, to do with trying to just keep the magic user from turning into the most powerful character in the game at all times. You have to do what you can. Um, and you kind of combine that with the realism, the fact that you know a more complex spell should take longer to do. And so that way you've got a, you know, a, a way to quantify it. Yeah, I guess you're right. If you, I guess if a magic user was able to cast a fireball within one second, it wouldn't be as fair. Yeah, I mean, the thing about magic in a, in a game like AD&D is that it's... AD&D is not about superpowers. It's not about just, you know, pressing a button and having things amazingly appear. Magic is pretty powerful, amazing stuff. Even a first-level spell is the kind of thing that your average civilian is going to be completely amazed by. Yeah. So um, it's not just a question of you know, the casting time, but you've also got the, the uh, um, material components. And, you know, the, ver the verbal um, and somatic things are less you know, difficult. But, you know, part of the problem is, okay, it's going to take time to cast the spell, and I have to have, you know, um, a pinch of 
dried lizard powder, you know, or whatever. So, I mean, it's, that kind of thing came up, um, you know, when when Ernie Gygax, Gary's son, one of Gary's sons, uh, was playing with his dad. You know, sometimes the two of them, were, it was just the two of them. The rest of the people weren't there to play, and Ernie still wanted to play. Yeah. Because, of course you do. And so this is when he was a kid. Um, so what his dad would do is he'd say, okay, well, you wanted to have a new spell, right? You're going to need to have, you're going to need to research this and you're going to need some components for it. And he would make a whole solo adventure, like a side adventure, just for the purposes of being able to research the spell. Oh, cool. Okay. You know, and I think that adds a whole, a really cool dimension to it when magic suddenly becomes this thing that, you know, the fighter might be able to swing a sword all day long and do a lot of damage. Um, but this spell can do amazingly powerful things, so it better be hard to do. So how do you feel if you're playing in a game and the Dungeon Master just waves the casting times? I mean, that's the DM's game, you know. Um, it's going to have a different flavor to it. Uh, do you think it breaks the game, or... For your opinion, I mean, you're allowed to have your yeah, opinion. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. I don't it know. doesn't mean you're going to storm out and cry or something. It's just how you feel when, at the time when you hear this happen. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, if, if I'm at a convention and I'm playing at somebody's table, however that person wants to DM, it's their table. Obviously. Um, if I'm joining a campaign and I think the DM plays really differently than I would want to, maybe I don't want to continue in that game, that campaign all the time. But um, that hasn't come up, so you know that's theoretical. But I'm just trying to think: does it break the game if you don't have? Yeah, I think it does yeah. break the game a little bit, especially at higher levels. Well, yeah, if you're casting, if you got a magic user casting these high level spells, and the DM's going, "No, don't worry about the casting time," it's just like boom, goes off first round, done. Well, yeah, I mean, if you can do a wish spell in, you know, with no casting time. Well, the, the, you know, the other way that it breaks the game if you don't use casting times is that then there's no way to interrupt the spell. True. And that's part of the balance. I don't like using the word balance too much, but um, <laughs> that's part of the balance also is that the magic user needs to be protected. They need to be back away from the action, and it's possible for somebody to catch them in the middle of the act, you know, hit them with a an arrow, even if it only does one hit point of damage, it's enough to break their concentration and lose that spell they were trying to cast. Yeah, I would think that would, uh, that's true, yeah. If magic user's going to break that concentration, I would at least give them a chance to try to maintain that. At least in my game, I'd probably give them a roll just to see if, they, if it's like one hit point of damage, I would probably give them a roll concentration roll. Because you still can concentrate right. under duress and stress, so. Well, um, I feel like I'd have to go back and look this up, but I, I, I remember reading in one of the books where it essentially said just trying to cast magic during combat at all is a bad idea because it's so hard to maintain concentration in the middle of a fight. But, I mean, that's crazy because if you can't yeah. you know, use spells during a fight, come on. You're but um, it always seemed pretty uh, serious about that. You know, it seemed like like uh, Gygax was always pretty serious about the idea that magic was a difficult thing that the slightest interruption could mess it up. So I prefer it that way. I don't see any reason why you couldn't give him a role if, if you know if you want to do it that way too. I, I think it's just more of a. I don't. I'm not going to say. 
I'm not sure how to word it, but I think it's more so to be fair to the player. I mean, they want to have fun too, but if you're just constantly ditching their spells with arrows, I mean, I would think you want to give them a little fair. Just well, so I they... mean, that's why you got to protect that magic user. I know, but if you're constantly playing and your magic user, every time he starts casting a spell, boom, arrow, canceled. They're going to get a little frustrated and really not want to play, to be honest. Especially, you know, you're playing a really low-level magic user who's walking into the dungeon with one or two spells. Yeah. You know, it's like, that was my only sleep spell for the day, and that orc just messed it up by hitting me with a rock. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> While I've been considered the evil DM over these five years, I still have a heart. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think the further back you go in the evolution of Dungeons & Dragons, the more difficult it becomes for the players. And, you know, when you go to the very, very origins of D&D, where it's just sort of coming out of uh, miniatures wargaming... You know, there was a little bit more of an assumption that you would have several characters ready to go and one would die and you just grab the next one. Um, you know, it wasn't, I don't think, until a little bit later that people started getting more attached to their characters and taking them all the way up through, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth level, that sort of thing. Um, and, and really trying to... I, I guess what I'm saying is that early on it seems like it was a little bit more acceptable to have... Uh, and easily kill the character and just, you know, run through a lot of them and have a lot of failures. Um, so maybe, you know, especially if you're playing now, it is more fair to say, okay, yeah, you can interrupt the spell, but let's give him a chance not to lose it at least. Yeah, there you go. I'll go with that. Maybe I wouldn't let him still get the spell to succeed, but I wouldn't make it fall out of his mind entirely. There you go. So there you're being a heartfelt DM, Jason. Look at that. Well, um, you've read Jack Vance books. Yeah. Yeah, so you know kind of how he explains the, the magic and how once it's said, the words are getting pulled out of his head, and that's you know the basis for uh, Dungeons & Dragons magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think it's... You can make a logical argument for the fact that if you haven't finished saying the spell, maybe it hasn't left your head. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but it erases once it's fully out of you, so if you didn't fully say it, it's still there? I mean, hmm. Good question. I'd be pretty cool with that house rule. There you go. Jason's house rule number one. <laughs> Uh-oh. Jason, you're confirming to something. Ooh. Anyway. Should I confirm or deny that I have any house rules? <laughs> right. <laughs> you have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. In the treasure chest that we're opening right now, a little sound effect there of the opening chest, the, the Zelda da 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 da. I don't have to make the sound effect with my mouth. Go for it. No, it's all right. Okay. So we have a bag of tricks, which was slotted for show number five, but we never did use it, and it was just left on the blotter there, never used. So, Bag of Tricks, if you head over to your Dungeon Master's Guide, and on page 138 is your Bag of Tricks. Bag of hey, Tricks. Look at the tables. There's tables. Your favorite thing, tables. Yes. So bag Any of tricks, magic item that requires tables to understand <laughs> is an awesome magic item. So, Bag of Tricks, you can draw from this bag at least ten times one week. And when you reach inside the bag, I love the description. You feel this little fuzzy thing. <laughs> hmm. 
Oh, boy. So you feel this little fuzzy thing, and you can pull it out and throw it on the ground in front of you up to about 20 feet, and it becomes any one of the following monsters from, well, I should say animals, from the tables below on a random roll, and uh, you can they will fight for you. They'll obey for you for at least one turn or until you pull it back into the bag. So I like to always think of this as like your Pokemon type thing. <laughs> I like to think about the fact that this was written in the 70s when fuzzy dice on your mirror were pretty common. Yeah. And uh, so in my mind, this is like a small pair of fuzzy dice in the bag. <laughs> like 70s conversion van, laser cat artwork on the side kind of fuzzy dice. So you roll a D10 every time you pull out of this bag and throw. And based on the number you get, you look at which table. There's a table from 1 to 5, 6 to 8, and 9 to 0. And then once So here's... You... All right. Right off the bat, what's going on here? Why is... Oh, I see. Because you roll a D10 and then a D8? Yeah. So after you roll okay. your D10, say you, say you roll, for example, a 5, you'd look at the first table, which is 1 to 5. Then you'd roll a D8, and that's the monster that... Or I should say animal that'll come out and fight for you. So on that table, you have things like... A weasel, a skunk, a badger, a wolf, uh, a giant lynx, a wolverine, boar, and a stag. A giant stag. And then the next table, it seems like the things are a little bit bigger. Maybe a rat. Well, they're not. Rat, owl, dog, goat, ram, bull, bear, lion. Finally going into t- uh, jackal, eagle, baboon, ostrich, leopard, jag- uh, hogwar, <laughs> jaguar, and buffalo, tiger. So, hogwar. Interesting. No, Hogwar. I'll just make that a Married with Children joke from back in the day. They called Jaguars Hogwars. I don't know why. Maybe it was a copyright issue. No idea. <laughs> but that that's what you get to fight for. They will obey you as if it was like one of the monster summoning spells. I wonder if the... I'm just trying to think of what the relationship is in each of these types. Like, what does a weasel have to do with a boar and a rat have to do with a bear and a jackal have to do with a buffalo? Is there any logic to this? No. No, I don't. I don't think there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for it. I just think it was whatever Gary decided. They all. I mean, they all go in ascending order of hit points. You know, from a small two hit point animal all the way up to a, you know, twenty five to thirty hit point animal. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, Tiger has thirty hit points. Yeah. That's wow. Um, With a lot of attacks. Oh my gosh! Don't fight a tiger. Don't fight tigers. Got it. Um, so they just fight for you for one turn or until they're ordered back into the bag okay. or they're um, they're killed. And you can pull up to 10 creatures per, ba- uh, per bag per week. So if you pull out a tiger and the tiger fights you and then dies and a turn later you pull out, you can pull another tiger. It's not like when you pull out a tiger, it's gone forever. It replenishes itself, I guess. I have no idea. Well, I mean, these must be coming from somewhere. Where I mean, somewhere there's a zoo. <laughs> and there's like a little kid, and he's like, look at the tigers, Mom. Oh, my God, he's, where'd the tiger go? And he starts crying, and then meanwhile the tiger's fighting, and then he shows up again. No, that's not how it works. There's no magical zoo that it pulls out <laughs> Good explanation, but no. It's just well, magic. the magical zoo isn't really the greatest zoo in the world because next to the tigers, they've got rats. Yeah, it's, who would want to go see rats in a zoo? Yeah, it's just like, Mom, I'm tired of seeing the rats. Can we just at least go and see the owls? 
Well, the owls probably wouldn't be out because it wouldn't be nighttime unless you're at nighttime at the zoo. So, okay, what's the, what are the possibilities of pulling an animal out of the bag of tricks that is currently asleep? <laughs> well. <laughs> I think you're going to have to roll for that. You know, because, I mean, the owl is nocturnal yeah. and the dog is diurnal. So, you know, which which time of day is it? Yeah. That would what be funny. Eating? You'd pull out an owl and it just goes thud on the ground because it's sound asleep. <laughs> You're right. What if he was eating at the time? What if he was in the middle of, you know, doing his business? That's you disgusting. Know. You really want to think about those things? I mean, come well, on. Well, I mean, it could be a, it's, it's a ranged attack then. <laughs> Especially if it's a baboon, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, these animals don't just come from nowhere. Even the other stuff we're going to talk about a little bit later, we're talking about a magic item that pulls from the astral plane. Somewhere there's an animal that you're pulling into the bag and you're getting out. He's fighting for you and then he's going back home to talk about whatever he just did, explain where he was, try to you know get the wife to understand that he really was going to be on time for dinner, but there was this bag of tricks. I you guess know, so. you got to think these things through. <laughs> yeah, so there's your bag of tricks. <laughs> This might be a reason why we didn't put this on the show. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's head into our last segment of Creature Feature. Suddenly, your torch goes out. You fumble around the darkness to relight your torch. When you do, you look up and see the Creature Feature Theater. Creature Feature, what do we have this week, Jason? All right, this one, we've got The Creeping Pit. <gasps> From show number one. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. And I don't remember what we talked about the first time with this, because it's been five years. So yeah. um, we might go over some of the same stuff again, but it'll be fun. Yeah. So The, the Creeping Pit, it's a... Um, it's something that gets created only in special circumstances. When you have a bag of devouring... And you put it inside a portable hole. Um, when you put a bag of devouring inside a portable hole, you end up with an, a rift to the astral plane that stays open for one hour. Anybody going through that rift is going to end up in the astral plane. Um, and it'll stay open. You can come back. But after an hour, that rift will close. Anybody on that side is trapped in the astral plane. And what remains on the prime material plane is the creeping pit. It's a six-foot diameter, ten-foot deep hole. It's always that size, and it looks like a mobile portable hole, but it can move on its own, and it can move at human speed. It's got a move of 12 inches, so um, that's human speed it can go, and uh, it can go over any level surface. It can go up and down ramps. It can't go up and down stairs. It's like a Dalek in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but what it can do is, and if you're within 30 feet of the creeping pit, it will attack you. And by attacking, what that means is it will attempt to slide under you so that you fall into the hole. Mm-hmm. Once you fall in, now you're just in a regular pit. Nothing necessarily bad is happening. This isn't like falling into a bag of devouring where you're actually inside the stomach of this extraplanal creature. Now you're just in a regular hole. And if you can climb out, that's fine. You're out. But it can also start moving around. So it can take you, if it can go under doors because it's just a hole. 
So you could fall into this pit and it just takes off with you. So the rest of the party's behind and there's this hole that's just running through the dungeon with you at the bottom of the pit. Um, when you fall in, you're going to take damage normally. I mean, it's a 10-foot drop, so that's 1d6. But there's also a 10% chance that there's so much junk at the bottom already that it'll cushion your fall and you'll be okay. Um, so while you're down there, I mean, you should be fine. You can't attack it. You know, it doesn't, it's not subject to magical spells. It's not subject to weapon attacks. Um, and like I said, you can try to climb out. But if you don't climb out, if for whatever reason you're unconscious, you can't succeed at climbing out, or it just keeps going back underneath you, whatever, for every hour that, the that you're in there, for whatever material, organic, non-organic, for every hour that something's in the pit, there's a 25% chance of fading into the astral plane. It's not cumulative, but if you stay down there long enough, eventually you're going to fail that roll and be trapped in the astral plane. No! Um, the, there is a way to kill it, sort of. Um, what you can do, you, you don't kill it, kill it, but what you can do to affect it is uh, casting a gate within it or throwing a bag of holding or portable hole into the pit which reopens the interdimensional inter rift and then um, you have a chance to get away from it but you also have to make a save versus spell to avoid being swept into the astral plane at, at that point and then you know after the rift closes the creeping pit is destroyed and it's no longer a problem for you so you can't attack it can't fight it it's a hole can't attack the hole I attack the darkness. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering, I know you said you can't attack it with magic, but I'm just wondering if kind of like a charm monster would work on this and have it like, I don't know, like attack the big bad that's fighting you or a bunch of monsters. Have it follow you around and be like, attack! like Kind of like a creature. Well, that's the problem is it's not actually a creature. It's more like a phenomenon. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, I mean, if you look at its stats, it has intelligence unrateable. Which, you know, is the same thing you would say about a door. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so, so the bag of devouring, if we go back to what that is, a bag of devouring, the functional effect of a bag of devouring is that you know, it looks like a um, bag of holding, but then when you actually uh, reach into it, it's going to swallow you. Because what a bag of devouring really is, it's the stomach of an extra planar creature that's Oh, I have a hard time pronouncing this, so I had to look it up. Um, this extraplanal creature called an ehagnum that lives on the astral plane. And the ehagnum's stomach is actually the other side of a bag of devouring. So when you reach into a bag of devouring, you're basically reaching into the stomach of this horrible creature. And it, and it eats you. Um, so if, But the thing is that an ehagnum, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, but so what... Um, in a hognum lives on the astral plane. So right. if you were to throw a bag of holding into a portable hole, which is also you know, connected to the astral plane, what you're basically doing is some sort of weird fourth-dimensional tesseract activity that I don't understand, and that's where the rift gets opened up. And then when the rift is finished, for some reason that turns into this creeping pit. So I guess you could imagine it, rather than it being a creature, it's more like a an effect of the connection between the planes right huh. so that's why you can't hurt it because there's nothing to get hurt 
Well, that's a good way to, you know, um, you can jump in the hole, take a little ride, and then come climb out and see where you are. I don't know. It could be an accidental benefit. You know, yeah. if you've got some place in the dungeon that you need to get away from quickly or that you want to get to that you haven't figured out how to get to, maybe it'll accidentally take you there. Or it can confuse the heck out of you and bring you somewhere you have no idea where you are and you're lost. Well, I think, you know, as the DM, since this thing can move pretty fast, whenever somebody falls into it, I think you should have a copy of Yakety Sacks ready to play. <laughs> While everybody's chasing it through the dungeon, it's like, wait, is that Yakety Sax? Whatever, I don't care. Yeah, same thing. Benny Hill, right? Yeah, Benny Hill. So, yeah, mostly it just sounds like a really funny thing to have happen to a character. I mean, it's not going to hurt you, really. It can't kill you. That's the one thing it cannot do. It can't actually kill you. Unless you're a magic user and it's first level and you fall into it. Yeah, yeah, it can kill you in the sense that falling down a flight of stairs can kill you. Or like but, a magic user I played when I one of my DMs like no max hit points roll and I rolled a one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely going back to the days when you have some extra characters with you. Yeah, actually, he lasted pretty long. He lasted about six adventures before dying. Wow, did he ever get another hit point? Nope. <laughs> oh God! Wait, you went through six adventures and never leveled up? Nope. Wow, that's a harsh. Yeah, he, that's he harsh. was a very, very stickler with the uh, experience, and he never gave us experience for gold. So, oh come on, you got to get experience for gold. That's not fair. I don't know, and I also he because he felt bad, he allowed me to buy a, a fighting dog. So I had a dog that was like my pet that would attack for me, and he had four hit points. So he was. I was going to say, me. I'm sure the dog had more hit points than you. Yeah, he had four hit points. So, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Now this this. This creature, which isn't really a creature, um, it's basically a bit of chaos to throw into your adventure. I can see the pit grabbing someone and just going, ha and running away with them. Basically, yeah. I mean, I don't even know, you know, what would cause the pit to decide which way to go. It's, you know what, it actually does say in the creature catalog here that the creeping pit has a quasi-sentience. Yeah. So and it seems some... to stay in the general area where it was created. Oh. But... So what What do you think it is? Well, it's not a monster, obviously. It's <laughs> it's a higher power. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it some sort of... Um, it's a phenomenon. Instantation of the, of the collective intelligence of the astral plane? It's a phenomenon. It's a phenomenon. Yeah. Something like a phenomenon. It's like a UFO. Yeah. Unified Unidentified object. falling object. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, tell us how you would use this in your campaign. I mean, five years later, <laughs> we'd like to hear more ideas how you use the Creeping Pit. Because we uh at a loss for words here at the moment. Mostly I think this is something that would make life hard in the DM. Because first of all... You fall into the pit, and now you have to kind of keep track of where it's going, and you've just split the party, and now you've got to keep track of different people. And what if they do fall on the astral plane? Because I don't know about you, but I find extra planar adventuring to be a little bit headache-inducing sometimes. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and I first looked in the back of the book at the... It, which book is it in the back of? The, the planar... Um, Dungeon Master's Guide, I believe. Is it in the DMG? Yeah. But anyways, the first time I saw that thing... And I started to try and actually 
picture what these different planes would be in my head, and I think I had to go lay down for a bit. What happened when the uh, planar book came out? Did you pass out? The Jeff Grubb one, you mean? Yeah, the monster, Manual of the Planes. Yeah, that well, that was a lot better because then you finally had some sort of idea what to do with these things. Yeah. God, I still yeah. remember picking that book up at Toys R Us when I was a little kid. And remember, for people who are listening, you can listen to Jeff Grubb talking about that. Yes, we actually interviewed him may, way, 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 way back. Yeah. A whole episode on that when he was feeling AD&D-ish at the time. There, we've had some really good guests on this show. Yeah. I mean, I mean so Jeff Grubb, um, one of the biggest things to me was when we got Dan Carlin to come on, which I, he's never gone on a gaming podcast before. This guy's a, you know, a, a history podcaster mm-hmm. and had him come on. Um, and we dug up the uh, the guy who created Dragonfire 2, speaking of Dungeon Master's assistants. You know, before there was an official Dungeon Master's assistant, there was this Dragonfire 2 yeah. that a bunch of, you know, kids at MIT made in their dorm room. And you cannot get this anywhere. We actually had him on the show. He's now this big, important, you know, head of uh, entire faculty. And uh, he just came on our silly little podcast and talked about retro Apple II stuff. Yeah, which was awesome. I, I was very shocked that he uh, had the time to even speak with you in that interview. I um, recently joined a group on Facebook called Apple II Enthusiasts. And because of that uh, Dungeon Masters video I put up, somebody was like, hey, you need to come over here. And so it's, I feel like I've got all this cred because I can like say, oh, yeah, I dug up you know these original dudes. <laughs> we put them on a podcast. It was great. Yeah, we've had over the years, we've had uh, some guy named Jason Elliott twice. Um, uh, Larry Elmore, that we uh, you you put that together this week with Larry. Uh, we had Jeff Grubb. We had Luke Gygax. Tracy Hickman twice, three times, I think. Uh, David Hill. The Mad Irishman, who created uh, character sheets. He still does that. We've had Tim Cask a bunch of times. Frank Menser a bunch of times. Anna Mayer. Uh, she was uh, doing the retro maps for uh, the, for Greyhawk, which was really amazing. We had Jen Page from uh, the Gamers movies on here. Uh, we had Roll20 team. We had Lauren Schick. Uh, we had the DM's Craft uh, Scotty, DM Scotty from the YouTube videos. Uh, we had Margaret Weiss a few times. And we had uh, dug up a few people from the Roll Aids uh, era, uh, Jason. Laurel and John, who did a lot of the Roll Aids. Uh, oh, no way. I missed those episodes. I'm going to go back into the archives. Yeah, you can actually go right on the right-hand side of the main page and click on the interview shows, and you can listen to John, Laurel and John. We had uh, issue one and uh, – which one was it? Uh, uh, issue Volume two, issue number 97, and volume three, issue 124 – Let's see, the first one was, I forget which interview we did, but the second one was about Rollade's Deadly Power. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, it was. they happened to be listening to the show, and now we were talking about Rollade's, and then John had wrote in and said that he had, had worked on some of the things. So I'm like, oh, cool, why don't you come on the show? And he's like, yeah, can I bring Laurel? I'm like, Laurel? He's like, yeah, she wrote it as well. I'm like, absolutely, bring her on too. That's great. Yeah, I mean, some of my favorite episodes are the ones where you have cool, like, people from the community, like Matt Irishman, that come on. But um, actually, yeah, I don't even know how to say the favorites. It's just there's a lot of good guests. Yeah, I love having a, a guest on every once in a while just to mix things up and, you know. For sure. 
So I guess that's going to wrap up the retro show. Uh, if you want to go to our podcast site, rfipodcast.com, uh, click on the links there for all the various shows. We have um, new to AD&D uh, 1E section where you can find out uh, beginner's guide because we actually went back in volume 3, issue 143. We did a beginner's guide to uh, AD&D. So in case you were just starting out, you can go check out that issue. We did uh, volume 1 is where you the primer pretty much. Volume 1, Issue 2, Resources for Buying, and we had some homebrew articles. And remember the Plus save, plus 2 to Save articles, uh, Jason, that we had a while back by Todd? No. no. You don't remember those? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, what were they? Uh, they were called Plus 2 to Save. Sounds. Oh, you mean the actual articles on the site that you can yeah. read? Yeah, by Todd Yeah, Hughes. yeah, no, those are great. Yeah, Todd wrote for us for quite a while, and then he stopped, and then I brought him back again, and then he uh, had uh, some... Uh, I think he got another job. He wasn't able to uh, continue writing or something, so he had to resign. But it was fun while reading his articles. Well, and they're still up there to read, so they're, yeah. they're great stuff. Yeah. Really. And you can click on the various shows. You can subscribe to our podcast. You can see. You uh, still have the. Uh, do you still have the article up with the pictures? We were talking about initiative before with that uh, initiative system that I came up with on the whiteboard. Yeah, that's still listed under the articles. You can still find that. The craziest thing, I was in uh, my friendly lake local game store the other day, and there was a product I didn't know about that Paizo, I think Paizo makes it. It's Officially, it's a Pathfinder product, but you can use it for any gaming board? system. And it's basically that board that I came up with, only as a product with magnets and yeah, all the stuff. Right I have that. Stuff. Great product. I've used that many a times for first edition. You could easily put things on the board there. Yeah, I just took a piece of tape and wrote Dungeons and Dragons at the top, you know, <laughs> with my left hand. Yeah, you can check out the various awards we've won over the years and check out our, our links for resources and check out N Magazine, the only first edition uh, magazine that we have out there by going to end-mag.com. Buy the retro t-shirt that we originally came out with from the original show. We still have those available if you want one of those. Are you are you writing for N Magazine? What was that plug? Uh no I don't run I don't write for N magazine but we do <clears throat> we do have a a, a a kind of a plug back and forth type thing going on. Cool yeah no that's a there's it's a really good zine they have a ton of great first edition AD and D resources and I uh, heartily endorse it. They uh they're part of our forums their their base forum is in our forums we gave them their first forum so the the whole thing was we'll promote you you promote us type deal. Very nice very nice. And uh, I think that's about it. Um, you can contact us, 570-865-4210 for the hotline. You might actually, if you're ever interested, go to uh, GuyGaxMagazine.com. You know, speaking of magazines, I hear that's a good one. Nah, I heard people don't like that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what issue are you up to for uh, GuyGax? Now, the last I heard was four. Did five come out yet? Or uh, Issue five is coming out in Thanksgiving. Okay, um, some cool surprises are going to be in that one. Uh, we're actually... We're actually going to be uh, showcasing Shane Ivey and Dennis Detwerler's game Godlike, which is the superhero oh. World War II game. Oh, cool. It's going to be our you know, big middle piece. And, uh, you know, it's going to have all the great fold-out stuff and color and uh, great cover artwork that I will not reveal yet because I'm really excited about the artist and I want it to be a big surprise. Anything uh, first edition in there that you can speak of yet or no? There always is. There always is. Um, I just am not 
I don't have the table of contents at my fingertips right now, so I can't remember everything that's in it. I'm going to screw up if I only say a couple articles and forget the rest. No, that's fine. We would want you to but, do that. Yeah, yeah. No, we've got um, a lot of good stuff in, in this issue. And, uh, you know, if anybody's not familiar with it, it's you know, the magazine that's uh, Luke Gygax and Ernie Gygax and myself and Tim Kask and a host of others, uh, you know, basically for the entire gaming industry. It's not just role-playing games, not just old school. It's it's uh, it's all, all the goodness of tabletop. It has that Dragon Magazine feel from back in the day, but it's about everything. So you even have things from the newer editions in there. So don't think going into it, hey, it's an OSR magazine or first edition. No, no, it's everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's it's fun because that way we – I've found out that we have readers, you know, we have readers who are very old school who were around in the 19, early 70s, you know, for the beginning of stuff. And we have readers who are, like, in their teens and younger. It's It's a nice cross-section. And they're available. You can can you pick them up at Barnes and Noble, or are they just available through uh, order right now? Um, well, you can get them at your game. If you're going to pick it up at a store, I would say go to your local game store because we should always support our local game stores. Right. Um, but you can also buy them directly online by going to our site, or you can go to Paizo or Noble Knight. They sell them also, and there's PDFs available over at um, Drive Through RPG. Although you do get a free PDF when you buy the print magazine, so you know. There's that too. And are you still with? I know in the beginning you were very pro the print goes out and then later the PDF goes out. Are you still doing that method or is it the same? Now? Uh, pretty close. I mean, we basically release the PDF. Uh, we, we try to time it with when the priority subscribers are getting their issues. Because, you know, we've had to kind of learn over the, over the past year and a half or so um, how to handle shipping properly so people get stuff on time. Um, so now what we do is when the magazine drops from the printer, the first people that get stuff are priority subscribers, and we try to time the PDF about with them. Right. Uh, and then everybody who's got regular shipping, you know, kind of however long the post office takes to get that, um, it's getting faster, though. And um, then also the stuff goes out to the stores at the same time. So the PDF drops pretty soon after it comes out of the printer. What, what I've actually found is that people write in saying, you know, I waited to open the PDF until I had the print issue because they just liked it better that way, yeah. which I appreciate. Um, but I don't want to, you know, deny people the possibility of getting it if they're just in a hurry and they want to read it. Oh, no. If I'm sitting down to relax, to read for, I don't know, however long time I have, I love to have the, the actual book in my hand. Yeah. Like, you know, some stuff like the comics, for example, it's just, I don't know, having the actual book makes them more enjoyable, I think. Hmm. You know, because right now we've got Order of the Stick and um, Aaron Williams's uh, full frontal nerdity as our comics, and we're hoping to add uh, one or two other uh, ones in the next couple of issues as well. Get some Nodwick in there. Well, that's the thing. So full frontal nerd. You know, Aaron Williams did Nodwick. Yeah, I know. Um, so full frontal nerdity is his um, his kind of four panel, three panel style thing. And what he does for us is a version of Full Frontal Nerdity that's more like Nodwick because you actually the, – the guys tend to actually go into the adventures. So he's really doing something for us that's completely new, completely different from anything he does anywhere else. Cool. Yeah. So head over there and purchase 100 copies and make Jason happy. Yeah, sure. 100 sounds good. <laughs> Give me a dollar off. 
Wow. There you heard it, folks. Just enter in code dollar off and you'll get one dollar off the hundred copies. Off of any box of a hundred. There you go. Ninety nine dollars, you can have a hundred dollars worth of books. Well, magazine, excuse me. So I guess that's gonna wrap things up, so I'm gonna just say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Roll for initiative.